history will never be able to talk about Sergeant Carter unless they tell his story. They can't bury it anymore. His story will always be told. And that's why I appreciate so much what you're doing to keep this going. An excerpt from today's guest, another in a series this month highlighting the Black Medal of Honor recipients of World War II. This time it's Sergeant Edward Carter. Aline Carter, his daughter-in-law, is back for part two of her interview, and we'll speak with her right after this break. I'm Robert Child, and this is Point of the Spirit. Welcome back. Today's guest is a self-taught researcher and a union activist who has been featured in a number of media outlets, including U.S. News and World Report, The Washington Post, and on the Netflix series Medal of Honor. Her father-in-law was Sergeant Edward Carter, and she single-handedly led a campaign to correct a wrong which had been done to him by the U.S. military. Her book is called Honoring Sergeant Carter, A Family's Journey to Uncover the Truth about an American hero. And Aline Carter rejoins us now. Aline, welcome back to the show. Good to be back. Absolutely. We focused last time on the frustrations that Sergeant Carter went through, but the, the story ended on a very happy note, the, the way it should. Let's talk about the White House ceremony. Okay. Um, when the medal was bestowed, the Medal of Honor, that was a very, very emotional time for the family because what else happened after the day after the Medal of Honor ceremony? Well, the day after the Medal of Honor ceremony, um, Eddie was reinterred into Arlington, and and that was intentional. Um, when I talked to DC, they didn't want Eddie to come to Arlington. They said they would come to California and, re, you know, redo his headstone, and um, you know. I said, that's not sufficient. I said, he died very lonely, only a handful of people at his funeral. And I said, he deserves a hero's burial. My question to you, does he qualify to come to Arlington? She said, yeah, but we're not going to pay for it. We buried him once. We're not going to pay for it. I said, fine. Um, if we pay for it, does he qualify to come? She said, yeah, but we're not encouraging you to do that. I said, but we are encouraged that he should be there. But I had ulterior motives. Anyway, um, three of the guys Eddie served with also uh, contacted me. One was Andrew Nix. He was in uh, the 16th, 12th Armor. Andrew Nix was a director of funeral home. He was kind of like a regional director. And he told me that he would, you know, we had to destroy Eddie's old casket. He says, I'll get him the best casket there is. I'll, I'll uh, cause you have to go funeral home to funeral home. You can't, you know, the funeral homes have to transport him. I mean, we pay for the airfare, but Andrew Nix arranged everything else. He was good friends with the guy at Arlington, the director, mm -hmm. and he took care of everything at, as far as Eddie was concerned from funeral home to funeral home. So we, the reason I wanted it the day after the Medal of Honor ceremony is because everybody would still be in Washington, including his family. We wouldn't have to come back for this ceremony. So the next day was perfect. Um, and actually I met a lot of people that, you know, that's when I met Blair. I met, I met Blair at the ceremony. And, and once these guys found out that Eddie was going to be reinterred at Arlington, well, all of them showed up, you know, so it really worked out fine. But 
we developed a relationship with Blair that he almost became a family member. And we'll talk about that in a little. And this is uh, Russell Blair. Right. His commanding officer. Commanding officer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit because he was with you at the White House ceremony, correct? Yes. He was, he, that, that was a big ceremony. Everybody wanted to be a part of it. And the 12th Armored wanted to send as many men as they could. But Blair, Blair was there. And, and when he, um, when he met us, uh, it was this look on his face and disbelief that this is actually Eddie's family. And he took to us right away. It was just like he was just part of the family. And he wanted to know more about Eddie. And, um, you know, we just embraced him. He, so he, he went to the re-interment with, with us. And I saw at that point when he was standing by the casket, how he put his hand on there. And I just saw that there was something in his heart that just said he was glad that Eddie finally got that medal. And, you know, I watched him. He followed us from that point on. It was like he didn't want to let go of this, this time in history. He didn't want to let go of this. And so, you know, that was fine. But one thing I want to say, at the re interment there was plenty of uh cameras and people i really wanted to be alone with eddie at that time i was hoping that i could just have a moment alone with him and to say that we made it you know i but it was so many people around and it was so much going on and i know that i couldn't come back and have that time because once we left that grounds that was it but that was something that i really wanted to do you know and so him being re-interred into Arlington, the second part of why I did it, I still hadn't answered the question of what did he do? And I, I said, well, if, if it's something bad, they're going to have to dig him up and bring him back. So <laughs> he's in Arlington. You, you're going to make a big scene with this. And so that was, that was really a touching time and a touching moment for all of us, for Mildred and his sons, it was really a touching time to, to be there, to see him uh, be re-interred into Arlington. But that's not the only time that you had the government do the right thing. After that, you felt like there was still something left undone. Talk about what you did with the Pentagon. Well, okay, after that, remember, I'm on this quest to get an answer to what he did. I, I wasn't and it, I wasn't quite satisfied, but I was also concerned that should something come up that would disgrace his name, something I didn't know about, his wife, nobody knew about. I needed answers to that. I needed to know for sure he did absolutely nothing. And that's when I, uh, that's when I did the Freedom of Information Act, or his FBI files, and military intelligence files, ACLU. Went through all of them with a fine tooth comb, tracking everything. There was nothing in there, and there was nothing in there that would warrant him being barred from the army. There was just nothing in there. So once I had I had uh, researched all of this material, I felt that I was ready to contact the Army Board of Corrections, and I was ready to put my my case on the table for them to correct his files, and. Um, you know, honestly, they agreed. And one thing they told me, they said, well, Sergeant Carter, I said, no, he's Sergeant First Class. 
Well, we don't have that. I said, well, you denied him as a sergeant first class. Does the Army make that kind of mistake? And he was he made rank right before they denied him. So they didn't even have that. And oh. so, yeah, so, but they corrected that too. And so uh, uh, she said, okay, well, we're going to co- draft a letter of apology for Mrs. Carter. We're going to correct all of his files. And, uh, you know, I said, no, that's not going to do. You destroyed him before the world. You need to apologize before the world. Not just a nice, neat letter. Not just to put, you know, re-enter him and let this go away. No, you're going to apologize before the world so his family can hold their heads up for what you did to them. So she had to consult with somebody else. And they agreed because they knew I wasn't going to let up. So they agreed and they said, okay, well, we, we, we're busy, but we'll do it. And I said, now, November, around Veterans Day. Why then? I said, he, he should be honored as a veteran. He should be honored. Well, okay, we'll, we'll do it then. <laughs> it's like, no. You, so they, they gave us the invitation to the Pentagon. Now, one thing, one thing that was important to me when Mildred and her son set up on stage and General King was wringing his hands, struggling to, to, to come up with the right words, I sat in the audience. I felt that this was their time, this was their day, and they should be honored at this time. I, I don't need to be, I mean, I did speak later, but I don't need to be on the stage. And if you could have seen the look on Mildred's face, Mildred's eyes, when you mentioned Eddie, her, her whole face light up. She, there was just this glitter in her eyes and, and William, I was getting annoyed with him because he was acting like he was five years old on stage and he was laughing and I said, William looks serious. But he, he, he was just laughing and tapping his hands like he was at a parade. And I said, you know, why, leave him alone. You know, this is their time. So um, that, that was the Pentagon's uh, situation and it was huge. Uh, it was in all the newspapers and we went back to Arlington and the press came and they took pictures of Mildred and Levy was there with us, Blair was there with us and everywhere we went. I hope you're enjoying this episode. Next time, we've got a narrative special, Weather and Warfare. Since ancient times, weather has played a critical role in the rise and fall of empires. Every battlefield commander from millennia to modern time has had to contend with the most powerful and unpredictable force on the face of the earth, nature. That's next time. February is Black History Month, and my new book, Immortal Valor, about the Black Medal of Honor recipients of World War II, is out now. The book chronicles these immortal heroes' life journeys through all the pain and struggle up until their ultimate triumphs. I hope you check out the book to discover more as we celebrate Black History Month. Just visit my website at robchild.net or visit any online retailer. Now back to the conversation. One thing we haven't uh, touched on is is the uh, ship. Right, absolutely. Let's talk about the ship. Well, I was asked. Did, did, I was asked that uh, Miss Carter, are you satisfied? Uh, we gave Eddie the medal. We, you know, and we apologize. And I said, it's not that you did anything above and beyond. He was entitled to that medal, and he was entitled to your apology. I said, it's not like I should be satisfied for something you took 50 years to do. But I submitted a notebook for a ship. 
And I wrote in there why, you know, I thought he should, well, they had a ship, but it went to Bob Hope. The young lady I gave the notebook to told me when the plane hit the Pentagon, she grabbed that notebook and ran out. She didn't leave it behind. And she later submitted it, and they later notified us that they had a ship ready. Now, this is where I was grateful. I was grateful for the ship. It was above and beyond. But I was grateful that my children got to see history up close. They didn't have to read about it. They they toured the ship with me, and they were just in awe. So the legacy, you know, when my my children saw that ship, especially my son, he said, do you see how big that is? His name is on there. And I, and, and, and that changed me because I took them everywhere I went. But that ship to me was vindication. That's when I said, yes, okay, we're even now. And this is uh, not any ship. It's an ammunition ship. Correct? Ammunition ship. And uh, it, it's stationed in Diego Garcia. Uh, it, it pulls up alongside destroyers and um, it loads them up with ammo. They give them a shopping list and they, they put the ammo on the ship. But it did catch on fire. That was another thing. Yeah, it's shortly after it was christened, right? Shortly after it was christened, it went down to Sunny Point. And actually, I prayed while, while we were on that ship. You know, we all gathered around and I prayed. And so I'm watching the news. And I see Carter on the news saying his ship's all on fire. And I'm going, what did you say? I'm talking to the TV. What did you say? The ship's on fire? And my, my, my brother-in-law called. And he, he said, the ship's on fire. He said, why that happen? You prayed over it. I said, well, you can look at it two ways. Uh, it could have blown up, and it didn't. It was half loaded with ammunition. So I don't, I don't feel too bad. Two men died. I feel bad about that. Yeah. But it, it could have blown up. And it didn't. So, you know, that was, but it, it, they restored it. It's back out there now and everything is great. Yeah. And, and that's wonderful. And you were out the christening, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, uh, yeah. I was embarrassed at the christening, but I was there. You right. know how you're supposed to hit that bottle and it breaks and everybody's cheering. Yeah. I hit that bottle and it bounced off. It didn't break. I hit it again and I took it like a batting swing and I batted it. <laughs> as hard as I could and it didn't break and I said now this is embarrassing <laughs> this is embarrassing I don't know how else to break this bottle it happens but, more often than you than you would think actually really <laughs> but it's embarrassing when you got all these people and cameras rolling and the bottle just sitting it wouldn't break oh. yeah I christened it in Norfolk and uh my family was there and so was Russell Blair <laughs> so so was Levy I told you he, he went everywhere. One thing I did didn't mention about Blair, he asked me to um, bring the medal to Texas, mm -hmm. to, uh, to to down to Tech Abilene for their reunion. He asked me could could I bring it down there? He wanted to show it to the twelve farmer. Uh -huh. And I told my husband I said this is important to him, and perhaps we should go down there. And so we took we went down there and set up a table. Russell Blair was there. He, we let him have his show. He was holding the medal and holding Eddie's picture, and he was just in seventh heaven. And I said, you know, it's worth it to see him like that. You know, um, he deserved deserved to have this moment. He had so much respect for Sergeant Carter, and he he was the one who actually wrote his citation for the Distinguished Service Cross. Correct. Yes, he wrote a citation and he said he knew 
that he wouldn't get the Medal of Honor. No, no blacks have ever gotten it. But he wrote he wrote his citation, and in his file, he actually Blair wrote a longer citation than what actually got through. But I was able to read everything he wrote. And so, yeah, he wrote the citation. And you know who else? Um, I got to speak to Vanderhoff. Oh. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, he was up in age, and he wasn't at the reunion, but I, I did manage to speak to him on the phone. This is um, Floyd Vanderhoff, his first Floyd interview. Vanderhoff, yeah. Right. I'm, I'm not quite sure how he and Blair shared that uh, uh, responsibility of being in charge of that unit. I don't know if Vanderhoff was there first and Blair took over. From my research, Vanderhoff was his first commander, and then when Eddie came back from his wounds after uh, his Medal of Honor action, uh, Blair was in command. So uh, Vanderhoff had moved up in rank or, or, or transferred. Okay. Well, I didn't have an opportunity to speak to him. Yeah. And, and so uh, that was nice, too. I'm sure it was great to interact with both of them so much. What would you like to leave people with about Sergeant Carter? What people don't know about Sergeant Carter, I often get asked, if you didn't know him, how were you able to do this or how were you able to um, know what, what, what he was like? And I said, he left his story to be told in over 100 letters. He left his story, but he was telling his story to Mildred. His, his highs, his lows, his pain, he was explaining to Mildred what he was going through. And so I had to read those letters to be able to establish where he was. It was important to me to reclaim his legacy. It was important to me to let his sons know that he was what he said he was. He was not a failure. He was what he said he was. And for Mildred, it was very important because his son rose and set on Eddie. And for her to know that he was a hero, that was important. But the second thing is that it was important for my children because this was their legacy too. It was important for them to know that history will never be able to talk about Sergeant Carter unless they tell his story. They can't bury it anymore. His story will always be told. And that's why I appreciate so much what you're doing to keep this going. But when you go on the internet, you will see Sergeant Carter all over the internet. Right. It's well known. And so that that is what I'm grateful for, but it's also, a, a labor of love. There's a passion that goes with what you do. And the passion is, in spite of all the people saying you're foolish, you'll never beat the army. You will never win this. It's like fighting City Hall. You're never going to win this. But I just felt in my, in my soul that I could win it. And that for Eddie, I would win it. And so that, that's the reason why. And I, ha I have no regrets and I would take it on again, but I'm too old. <laughs> well, you did win it. You absolutely <laughs> did win it with the ship. That is the uh, the crowning glory. My crowning glory. That is my ship. My crowning glory. When I christened that ship, it, it was it was everything to me. This is above and beyond. You know, for a black soldier to be destroyed and now his name is on a ship, is phenomenal. Indeed. It is just phenomenal. The book is called Honoring Sergeant Carter, A Family's Journey to Uncover the Truth About an American Hero. 
Aline, thank you so much for joining us. This has been wonderful. And thank you for having me on. That's it for this episode. Thanks again for joining me. My conversation with Aline is part of a series of shows this month focused on the seven black Medal of Honor recipients of World War II in my book, Immortal Valor, which is out now. Next time, we've got a narrative special, Weather and Warfare. Since ancient times, weather has played a critical role in the rise and fall of empires. Every battlefield commander from millennia to modern time has had to contend with the most powerful and unpredictable force on the face of the earth, nature. That's next time. And if you like what you hear, leave a review or a rating or just click the follow button. You can find me on Twitter, at Rob Child, where you can share your comments about the show. I'm Robert Child, and this has been Point of the Spirit. Music licensed from audioblocks.com. Point of the Spear is produced by RSC Media Group.